ever have given up on walk, walking with the Lord. Amen. There's a story I want to read to you tonight as we begin to look into the Word of God for a little while. This morning, uh, our message, I felt so very strongly about sharing that with us this morning. And you might look at tonight as a little bit of a continuation on that, picking up where we left off, or more of an explanation perhaps of some of it. Let me read to you the book of Romans, chapter number 8, as we start, in verse number 1. It simply reads this. <clears throat> there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Can you say no condemnation? Amen. God bless you tonight as you are seated. We need to know, and I, I believe that we do, but... I think sometimes we need to be reminded that it is the enemy's job to discourage us and to bring doubt and fear into our lives. It is his hopes that in doing so, he can bring us to the place where we will feel like quitting, where we will feel like throwing in the towel, it may not be that you will quit living this life. It might not even be that you will quit living for God. But it might be that you will quit going the direction God has been taking you. Or it might be that a ministry that the Lord has been laying on your heart to fulfill might go undone. I really believe that the devil is not so much concerned whether or not we believe in the things of God as much as it is, whether or not we actually act them out in our lives, whether or not we allow them to guide us and control us and lead us and take us to places where only the Spirit of God can. I believe that uh, He's all right with you even coming to church on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night, as long as when you walk out the back door and you go to work on Monday, he can do something that will discourage you and will begin to make you wonder and doubt and fear. And tonight I want to talk a little bit about some of that uh, that the devil tries to do to us. But there is a story told by the man of <clears throat> R.U. Darby was his name and he had an uncle that many years ago caught gold fever back in the gold rush days. And uh, his uncle went west and he was going to, to find his wealth and to find his ability out there. So uh, he had never 
I heard that more gold has been mined from the brains of men, if you will, than from what has been dug up out of the ground. Uh, he staked a claim, and he went to work with a pickaxe and a shovel. And after weeks of labor, he was rewarded to find a shiny little nugget. All he needed now was machinery. All he needed was the proper equipment to go deeper and to be able to access what lay beneath the earth. Quietly, he covered up the mine and he retraced his steps and he went back home to Williamsburg, Maryland where he told everybody about his discovery and his family and he sought to raise the funds and to raise uh, the money to buy the equipment that he needed. And so as time went on and people began to hear him and listen to his story, he found investors that were willing to put up the money and they were willing to buy the equipment that was needed in order for him to get into that ground and to have access to what lay beneath. Um, and so with all of that, they bought the equipment and they had it shipped out there and uh, with the understanding that as they came across more, then they would be partners and they would be paid back for their investment. The first car of ore was mined and it was shipped to the smelter and they melted it all down and they refined it. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it was one of the richest finds that had been found up to that time in Colorado. And as they dealt with more, there were some more cars and more ore that was brought forth and it was melted down and, and their hopes and their dreams were beginning to be within their reach. Just another car, another little bit of ore and the debt would be paid and from that time forward, they would be then making real money and their hopes and their dreams lay in what was down underneath the ground. But somewhere down there, there came a point where they uh, realized that in the way that they were drilling, in the way that they were doing things, suddenly it was as if a water spout had been turned off and the ore was no longer there. All of that investment, all of that pleading and begging and borrowing money, all of those efforts, all of that, that they laid their integrity and their character on the line to get, it was suddenly gone. There was no more gold. They had come to the end of what they thought was the vein of gold and they did not know what else to do. They tried a little more. They went another direction. They did this. They did that. They made all of their adjustments as they tried to dig just a little bit more. But when it all came down to it, after many weeks of discouragement, after many weeks 
of thinking that that was the end and that they had started out on a foolish endeavor. They sold all of their equipment to a junk man at junk price. They sold everything they had. They licked their wounds, if you will, and they went back to Maryland to face the music and to face the investors. But somewhere in all of this, after the junk man had bought the uh, the price and paid the price to get the claim and to purchase the equipment, he began to wonder, maybe if I could just do one more shot at it. Maybe if I could just give it one more effort. They had given it their all. They had used everything. They had given it all up. But now he came in and he bought it and he asked himself and he asked somebody else that knew a little bit more about it, would you just come and analyze this particular place with me? Would you look at it closer? He said, I, I really just want to give it one more shot. I'm not ready to, to give up on all of this yet, even though I just bought it. And so he had somebody come out, somebody that knew a little bit more about it than he did, somebody that knew a little bit more about what was going on than he did. And so this engineer came out and he began to look at the mine and he began to study the lay of the rock and all that was going on. And he came to mind, he said, that what happened is that they ran out of uh, of the vein of gold because they did not understand the lay of the land. They didn't understand that really if they would just have dug down three more feet, they would have hit gold again. And so this man, he got his equipment that he had bought at a bargain price. The equipment that others had left behind and said was no longer useful and no longer capable. The mine which had caused such discouragement in the life of this uncle, this unknown man who had bought it at a junk price turned the equipment on one more time and he began to dig and as the story goes three feet into his dig he hit a very very precious vein of gold that made him an extremely wealthy man and he was able to walk away at a bargain price because he decided, he committed, he had hoped that maybe just one more effort, one more try, one more dig. And if he could walk away from that, that junk man walked away a multi-millionaire when others walked away discouraged and given up. You see, that's exactly what the devil and the world that we live in wants to do for each and every one of us today. They want to get us to the place and they want to bring us into a situation where we are ready to give up where we are ready to throw in the towel, where we are ready to say enough is enough and I just can't fight this battle 
anymore. But I want you to understand that what we want to look at tonight for just a little bit is for you to understand there is a difference between the condemnation of the enemy and a little bit of conviction that the Lord might lay in your heart. There is a huge difference. The Bible tells us to those that are in Christ that discouraging, condemning spirit was never intended to be a part of our life. Never. It was never God's intention to cause you to be so discouraged that you would ever choose to give up. It is not of God when you begin to feel those moments where you're ready to throw in the towel and you're ready to say, I'm just going to go back to what I used to be or go back to where I was before or go back to that old lifestyle. I'm here to tell you tonight that when you begin to feel that way, you need to understand that spirit does not come from God. It does not come from your walk with God, but it comes from the enemy of your soul and his whole endeavor is to get you to quit digging because he knows in just a very short time, if you'll keep it up, you're about to find something that will make you exactly what you've been looking for. That spirit of condemnation, that spirit that the enemy wishes to throw at each and every one of us. There are several things about it that I want to share with you tonight. Perhaps this would be better addressed in a Bible study scenario. I don't know. I just want to share with you what I feel on my heart. I feel that the enemy will do whatever he can to bring discouragement into your life and to cause you to doubt and to cause you to fear. But there are some things I want to give you if I can tonight. Some nuggets to hold on to that will help you to discern the difference between what the Word of God calls conviction and what the Word of God calls condemnation. There is a big difference between the two. Somebody said in a nutshell, condemnation will drive you away from God and away from God's people. Conviction will draw you to an altar of repentance. And so whichever way your battle is going, you need to understand where it's coming from. Whichever way your fight is causing you to drift, you need to understand where it's coming from and what is being caused to happen in your life. You see, the first thing about understanding the enemy and the way he attacks us is that you need to know the tone of the enemy, the tone of the enemy, accusing and nagging and mocking and and tearing you down. That is not a voice that comes from our God. God. That is not a voice that comes from the heavenly thrones of God. You need to understand that the devil is a liar and he always has been and he always will be. Somebody said, how do you know if the devil's lying? If his lips are moving, he's lying. If he's talking, he's lying. Because somewhere along the way, there's going to be an untruth that has slipped in there just enough to cause you to doubt the things of God. That's what caused Eve to doubt when he told her he had the right words. Yea, hath God said that you can't eat from every tree of the garden. Oh, he knew just how to word it. 
He knew just how to get her attention. And he caused that little bit of doubt and that little bit of fear. He is the father. He is deceitful. And he is working overtime to take your soul. But when you hear from the word of God and when you hear from our heavenly father, I want you to know that you will hear a loving voice. You will hear a voice that is wooing you and drawing you to something greater. The Bible tells us that when God speaks, he will say things like, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the call of God. God. That's the wooing of God. That's the drawing of God. God will always have a tone of making you better. His endeavor will always be given to you in such a way that he seeks to build you up and not tear you down. So you need to know the tone of the enemy, the tone of what he is saying. The second thing the enemy will do is that his messages are vague and they are general in their nature, meaning that he will generate a blanket statement that will uh, choke you and will cause you to feel like that you do nothing right, that feel like everything you touch is falling apart around you. It'll begin to feel like you are useless and worthless and you don't amount to anything. It will be a feeling of general ability to do absolutely nothing. Can I tell you something? You got some good qualities too. I may have a few faults and a few failures, but I want you to know I know how to worship and I know how to dance and I know how to lift my hands and I know how to say I love you, Jesus. But oh, the enemy, oh no, when he comes to you, he will give you and make you feel like you are absolutely useless, absolutely worthless. You are the worst parent in the world. You're the worst saint in the world. You're the worst son or daughter in the world. Bless God, when you find the person that's the worst, guess what? You're worse than they are. You are absolutely no good. When you hear that, when you begin to feel that, you need to understand that is not of God. That did not come from the throne of glory. That did not come from our King and our Savior. The Spirit of God will be one that will uplift you and it will encourage you and it will draw you to a place where you can be once again empowered in the things of God. It will tell you what's wrong with you. Oh yes, the Word of God is convicting. It will pinpoint the areas that we need to work on. But friend, it will cause you to want to fix that one thing and when you repent and when you turn it over to God you get up clean and fresh and pure and holy there is a power in understanding because the enemy is so deceitful and he will stop your walk with God in his tracks in your tracks I should say if you will allow him to do so Don't buy into those generalized statements. I don't care what mistakes you've made. In general, you are a child of God. In general, you've got value and you've got a place in the kingdom of God. And all we've got to do is fix a few things. But oh, the devil likes to blow them all out of proportion. You're the worst person in the world. I don't know. I know some pretty bad people. But you see, the devil will trick you 
into feeling that way. That's why backsliders have such a hard time coming back to God. And frankly, we as the church, we need to understand that too, that people who are trying to fight their way back to God, we ought to be encouraging them and not discouraging them. We ought to be saying, you can do this. It's all right. You're not nearly as bad as what you think. You, you want to hear somebody bad? Go talk to Brother John over there. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <clears throat> you, want to, you want to talk to somebody who's mean? Go see Brother Sean and talk to him. He's mean. <clears throat> but the devil will blow it way out of proportion in your mind. You see, we need to know what the enemy does. We need to understand his tools. But you see, he will make you in general begin to feel useless and worthless and absolutely abandoned by the things of God. That is not true. I want, I want you to know that in my philosophy and what I believe is the word of God's philosophy, when it comes to backsliders, as long as there is breath in their body, there is hope. Somebody said, well, why do you keep working with this one over and over and over and over and over again? Because it's my prayer that one day, one time, it just might stick. <clears throat> you know how you throw something against a wall and it keeps bouncing off and bouncing off and bouncing off? Well, maybe one day it'll finally stick. Because we have to hope that. So it'll be a general message it and vague and make you feel not necessarily about the one specific thing God is dealing with you about, but it will be in general, you are useless. Friends, when those feelings come in, fight it. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. It's not of God. He'll also give you discouragement as a message in the enemy of your faith. He centers his attack on you as a person. And he cuts your self-image to ribbons. His attack will be personal. It'll make you feel that somehow you are incapable of ever arising again. He pushes you and agitates you to try to provoke you into being disobedient to the word of God and disobedient to everything that you know to be right. He will try to deceive you. He will continually accuse you. The Bible even calls him the accuser of the brethren. He will seek to accuse you and point out every little fault and every little failure you've got in your life. He will look at you and he will tear you up one side and down the other. Every moment you want to step out of line, the devil's going to be there and he's writing it down. And then when you step out of line next week, the devil's going to write it down. And when he's got you right where he wants you, he's going to saddle up to you and he's going to remind you of every mistake, every failure, every heartbreak you've ever gone through. And he's going to remind you and whisper in your ear about, oh, you're just useless. You're nothing. You're not, you know, you might as well quit. You might as well give up you might as well throw in the towel and he's going to tell you all the things you've done or not done his schemes are, are ruthless but I want you to understand 
When that begins to happen in your life, that is not of God. Oh, God will draw you to repentance, absolutely. God will draw you to an altar where you say, God, I have sinned, I have failed, and I seek your forgiveness. But God will not draw you to a lifestyle of forever being put down and forever feeling useless and forever feeling like you will never amount to a hill of beans. My God is one that encourages you and strengthens you and lifts you up. My Bible tells me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My Bible tells me I can speak to a mountain and it can be removed in the name of Jesus and I don't have to be perfect for those things to happen I don't I remember when I was in Bible school many years ago brother Sabin was teaching in one of our classes and somebody asked him one time brother Sabin how is it that when you get up to preach sometimes you're called upon to preach things that you yourself are not fully in grasping of. How can you preach something that you're still working on? I like this answer. He said, friend, I'll always be working on something till the day I get to heaven. My job is not to preach what I know, it's to preach what I know is in this book. My job is not to preach what I'm perfect at, my job is to preach the perfection of the word of God. And I love that answer. We will never be perfect in this life. And yes, when the enemy comes along, there's going to be things he brings to us. But I want you to know the word of God repeatedly over and over and over encourages us that we can be better tomorrow than we were today. That we can be better next week than we were this week. It is a progression. It is an ability to accept the things of God and move forward. I mean, you don't think Peter was perfect, do you? Three times he told the Lord, no, I'm not going to preach the gospel to a bunch of unclean folks. If God had allowed that to stand, guess what? You and I would not even be here today. I don't have a drop of Jewish blood in my body as far as I know. I might. Uh, somebody asked me one time what my nationality was. I said, I'm just a purebred mongrel. I probably have a little bit of everything in me. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, you know, it, Peter wasn't perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. They didn't have everything together all the time. You find in Scripture a rare moment when the Apostle Paul even uh, apologized as his apologies would go. And he said, you know what, bring it to me so-and-so because now I see that they are profitable to me for the doctrine. We had a fight, we had an argument, we split our ways, I sent him home. I was wrong, can you bring him back? A very rare moment, but even the Apostle Paul understood that we all make failures, but we can't be bound by our failures. The enemy will do his very best that he will remember all of your past. He will remember every mistake you've ever made, every time you've ever doubted God, every time you've ever tried to walk with God and failed. He will bring it to your mind, and he will use it against you. I want somebody said one time, 
time when the devil wants to remind you of your past, the best thing you can do is remind him of his future. <laughs> Amen. When he tries to tell you that you've made mistakes and you failed God, you can say, yes, I have, but thank God I found an altar of repentance and I worked my way through it and I'm walking with God. And devil, I can tell you one thing, I've got the power of the name of Jesus. What do you got? You see, the devil will do it every way that he can. He will cause you to doubt. It is his job to make you feel these things. And if you can only recognize where they come from, it is my hope that you will have a victory over them before it ever gets a foothold in your life. The message of the enemy is a rejection by the holiness of God. He disguises himself as an agent of holiness, and he produces within us a feeling of being unworthy of the things of God. I am not holy enough to stand in God's presence. Who am I that God would use me in the kingdom of God? Who am I that God would use me to reach out into a community and share the gospel? I've got so many faults. I've got so many failures. I've got so many things I'm working on in my own life. And the devil will bring it up into your mind and he will cause you to dwell on that. He will cause you to say, you are unholy. You are unworthy. You are not what God wants you to be. I remember the story of of a prophet one time in a vision. He was caught up into heaven and as he stood there, he looked at God and he said, God, your woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. What was he saying? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You know what the Lord did? <laughs> I love this. An angel reached over into the fire with a pair of tongs. He pulled out a coal from the heavenly fire that was in heaven and he brought it out and he touched it to the man's lips and he said, now you are cleansed. Now you are worthy to stand in my holiness. Now you are worthy to speak in my name. God makes us worthy. God makes us capable. God makes us able to do the things that we are unworthy to do on our own. And, and like this morning, that's another whole topic. I'll preach on that one day, not too far down the road. But I'm tonight wanting you just to understand what the enemy does. The Bible tells us to, and we understand it. The enemy will even go so far as to bring negative scriptures to mind. You say, Pastor, are there negative scriptures? Scripture's not negative. The way we apply it can be. Scripture itself was never meant to tear you down. It was meant to bring us to a place of repentance and then build us up. 
But there are ways in which the enemy will do. Shakespeare once said, the devil knows how to quote, quote scripture to his purpose. He knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly where to change it. Satan threatens judgment and said, grace is denied because you didn't fulfill all of the conditions that God set forth. You didn't do this, and you knew better. You didn't do that, and you know better. You didn't follow the plan of God, so therefore, guess what? You're not going to be blessed. That's from the enemy. That's not from God. <clears throat> because the Bible tells us that there is an unchanging nature in God and that his steadfast love toward us and he confirms that God will be with the faithful. I want you to understand there will always be a penalty for sin. There will. There will always be, even, even in the child of God, when there is sin in our life, there will be a penalty that must be paid somewhere down the line. But that does not mean that God is going to turn his back and God is going to walk away from you. Moses made an error leading the people out. When he smote the rock, God said to speak to the rock the second time. And that caused him down the road not to be able to go into the promised land. But that didn't mean that God forsook him and God turned his back on him. The Bible said that he received one of the greatest honors that any individual man ever could that when he died God took his body and God himself buried Moses God did not turn his back on Moses Abraham we understand if you study scripture he bordered on lying when he said she's my sister because he feared for his life and she was kind of his half sister whatever you want to call that so he was bending the truth just enough. But yet in the vision that was given to the king, I like this. The king said that God told him that he'd better not lay a hand on Abraham's wife because God was with him. Was Abraham perfect? Absolutely not. Did Abraham at times cave into his humanity? Yes, he did. Did he at times do things he ought not to have done? Oh, yes, he did. That's no secret about that. But in the midst of all of that, it is important to understand that Abraham's heart was in the right place. A momentary lapse of judgment, a momentary lack of faith is not going to condemn you and cause you to be forever put outside of the realm of God. The enemy wants you to think so. The enemy wants you to feel like the moment you mess up, it's all over. Over. You could walk with God for 10 years and tell one little white lie and the enemy's going to tell you that's it. You're done with. You might as well just go out into the world and live like everybody else is because it's over. Don't believe that. Do not believe that. Abraham went on to be the father of the faithful in spite of his mistakes, in spite of his failures, because always down the line, Abraham found an altar, and he gave a sacrifice, and he caught with God, and he made it right. All the way down through his life, there was always that open door with God. It's not over. 
it is not over. The enemy works to isolate you. The enemy will want to make you feel like nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. Everybody hates you. Let's just go eat some worms. You know the old story when you were a kid. The enemy will make you feel like you might as well not go to church because they don't care whether you come or not. The enemy will try to convince you that people don't care about you, people don't think about you, people don't look out for you, and people don't pray for you. I am here to tell you, and you can either believe it or disbelieve it, I don't really care. It's truth anyway. I pray for every one of you. Every week when I get down in prayer, I mention your name. I care. And the people sitting around you care, but the enemy wants to make you feel like you are drawing out about yourself and there's nobody there and he wants to isolate you and you begin then to feel like, why am I a part of it? Why am I reaching out? Why am I even trying to go? Why They don't care what happens to me. I am here to tell you that is a lie straight from the pits of hell because the enemy knows if he he can get you alone, if he can get you by yourself, if he can make you isolate yourself, then you are weak and vulnerable to his influence. Don't let him do that to you. Do not. That's the whole reason the Bible said that we are the body of Christ. We might be different. We might have different purposes. We might have different ideals. We, you know, you're a hand, I'm a foot, whatever. And we've got all of those things. But when we come together, we make a unit that is cohesive, a unit that has power, a unit that can go out and preach the gospel to a lost and dying world in a way that only we can. I just, I want you to be equipped. I know this might be a, have been ready for a Wednesday night, but I, I just felt like we needed to hear this tonight. Some of us are fighting some of these things, and we're listening to voices we ought not to be listening to. But the Holy Spirit of God will draw you to fellowship. That's the reason he warned them that in the last days, don't fall into those folks that don't want to be a part of a body. You know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. In other words, some people want to make you feel like that's all right. I'm not going to tell you that you can't live for God by yourself. I'm not going to tell you that it's impossible to live for God by yourself. People have have done it and sometimes overseas in certain areas they have to do it because there is nobody else there that can be with them but I want you to also know why would I walk away from a body that loves and cares and wants to be a part of my life and not allow myself to gain the strength and the help and the encouragement that they choose to give to me you see the I think it's worthy of note that when Jesus came across the man possessed of a devil one time, they said, Jesus, what have we to do with thee? Leave us alone. 
The cry of the devil is leave us alone. I'm going to say that again. The cry of the devil is leave me alone. Just let me do my own thing. Now, I'm not telling you, like I said before, that it is impossible to live for God alone. I'd be foolish to say that. People have done that for years. But I will tell you this, that it's also a lie from the pits of hell that there is not a body that loves you and there is not a group of people that care about you and there are not people that want to see you succeed in your walk with God. They want to succeed, see you succeed in your family. They want to see you excel on your job. They want to see you excel as a parent, as a mother, as a father. They want to see you excel as a family because that's what the body of Christ is all about. And they want to see you encouraged. So don't fall for that. The enemy often will emphasize feelings over faith. Feelings over faith. Well, the pastor didn't shake my hand today. Bless God, I'll bet he thinks something's wrong with me. When you say that, I know something's wrong with you. If I didn't shake your hand, it isn't because I did it on purpose. It's because maybe I was talking to somebody else who was just in need of a little more encouragement than you are. But the enemy, we've seen that play out in the society that we live in today. You can't say boo without offending somebody. You can't say anything at all without somebody saying, well, that hurt my feelings. My uncle used to have this joke. He said, somebody came to him one time and said, well, that hurt me as a person. He said, oh, man, I meant to hurt you as a duck. How else am I supposed to, you know? We have to be so careful about letting our feelings dominate and control our lives. Because feelings have nothing to do with faith. Feelings and faith do not walk hand in hand. Faith will cause you to believe it whether you feel it or don't feel it. Faith will cause you to step out and do the things God has caused you to do whether you like it or you don't like it. But you know that God has his hand in your life and you know that God has a purpose for you to fulfill. And there are times, friend, when I don't like doing what the Lord has called me to do and you don't like doing what the Lord has called you to do, but we do it because we have a purpose. We have a reason. We have an ambition. We have have a goal but he knows that feelings are so powerful in our lives and we can become offended so easily in our emotional makeup so he emphasizes feelings the church of the modern day if we're not careful it's all about feelings don't you just love, love? I just love, love. I love, 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 love. Woo! Don't you just love me? Because I surely love you. 
I love you so much, I won't even tell you what's wrong with you because I love you. I love you so much, I won't even tell you when you step out of line because I love you. I love you so much, I won't even tell you when you're about to split hell wide open because of the way you're acting because I love you. It is not about feelings. There were times Jesus himself stood and looked over the people that were there and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you together as a hen does gather her brood, but you wouldn't. What was he saying? Jerusalem, my heart aches. My feelings and my emotions are overwhelming. I hurt because I want to do so much. It hurts that you've turned your back on me and that you've walked away it hurts that you won't receive me but Jesus got up from that encounter and he went about his mission to preach the gospel anyway because feelings and faith are not the same thing but the enemy loves to concentrate on feelings because they're very powerful And if you can somehow find a way, and if the enemy can find a way to hurt your feelings, he'll do it. I think of elders like Brother Dempsey. Can I I just use him tonight? I I, want to do it with honor. You can't live for God as long as Brother Dempsey did and faithful through the years upon years upon years without somewhere along the way getting your feelings hurt. I would would guarantee you, if we went back over the life of Brother Dempsey, there would be times and times and times again where his feelings were hurt. Where people said things, did things, even church people, maybe even the ministry, said things or did things that hurt his feelings. But he understood that feelings and faith are not the same thing. Faith will push you on in spite of your feelings being hurt. Why is it that we absolutely want to ignore the safeguards that the Word of God said? If somebody wrongs you, don't slink away and cry and bemoan. No, the Bible said, be a man of God, be a woman of God, go talk to them. Why? Because the Bible said, get it worked out. Even said, you know, those that want to bring their uh, sacrifice to the altar, the offering, he said, first of all, if you've harmed somebody, go make it right and then come back. Why? Because it doesn't want to be tainted with feelings. Feelings will drive a wedge between longtime friends. Hurt feelings will do all kinds of things. Feelings will get you into trouble. Young people, listen to that one. Feelings will put you in a position you don't want to be in. In a position where you don't want daddy coming, dragging you out of. I'll just leave it at that. Brother Sean, I did that for you. Uh-uh. 
feelings. And, and the devil emphasizes feelings because he knows that we are so sensitive to feelings. <clears throat> the attack of the enemy is destructive, and I'm bringing this to a close here in a little bit, and demoralizing. His object is to get you to curse God. And he will destroy your life any way he can to get you to do it. <clears throat> he will fill your heart with lies. He will fill your heart with discouragement. He will fill you with arrogance and selfish ambition. Making you feel like you are better than everybody else is. And somehow the things in your life, he will, he will put bitterness, lying and envy and all of those things because he knows they are so destructive. He knows they will tear you down. But the spirit, it brings discipline and love. The spirit does things like we've read in the book of Corinthians when we talk about times when we have communion. Let a man examine his neighbor. No. You want to be right with God? Let a man examine his wife. No, that's not what he said. Let a wife examine her husband. Please, no. You won't like me when she gets done. I'm just picking no, but the Bible says let a man examine himself. Why? Because it's nobody else's business. I don't need to know all your deep, dark secrets. I don't need to know all of those things that you're ashamed of. You don't have to come into a, a confessional booth and tell me every wrong thing you've ever done in your life. That's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will draw you to this altar. It will draw you to a place where you look up to your Heavenly Father who loves you, cares for you. And you say, Father, I have sinned. I'm the prodigal son coming home. I have messed up. I've rejected you. I've turned my back on you. You see, when the Spirit of God draws, that's what happens. It draws you to a place of a relationship. The devil accuses. God reassures. God reassures. It's all right. It's going to be all right. I know that You've had weaknesses. Would you stand with me tonight, church? I know that you've had your battles. I know that at times you've even doubted my ability. Let's be honest with ourselves. God can look at us and say, I know that there have been moments when you've been ready to quit. I know those moments when you said, I'm just not going to go to church tonight because I just don't want to face another message. I don't want to face 
another moment of feeling like I'm not what I need to be. I don't want to face that condemnation. I want you to get it tonight. There is no condemnation. There is no accuser but the devil. There is nobody looking down their nose at you thinking they're better than you. I want you to know if I could, I would get all the way down on the ground and I would say I'm the worst among us. I'm the lowest among us. I'm the one that more than anybody needs to find a place where I can walk with God. I'm the one that needs to ask God for forgiveness. I'm the one that needs to look to God and say, would you help me with my doubts? Would you help me with my fears? Would you help me with those moments when I just don't know what to do? It is a lie of the enemy to tear you down. Don't listen to it. Don't buy into it. Don't receive it. Instead, tonight, I'm inviting each and every one of us up to this altar. I'm inviting you to come and lift your hands. I'm inviting you to come and in just a few moments, receive the love of our God. I'm preaching tonight to people that have lived for God for years. I know that. Almost everybody in this house has received the Holy Ghost. Almost everybody's been baptized in Jesus' name. I know that. And those are important things. And if you haven't ever received the Holy Ghost, I'm here to tell you it's a wonderful gift. And you need to seek the face of the Lord for it. And we'll pray with you tonight. But tonight, I'm reaching out for those that just feel like I just, I just don't know, dear God, if I'm worthy, if I'm capable, if I'm the kind of material that you need and that you can use. I'm telling you, you've been listening to the wrong voice. You've been listening to the wrong voice because my God says I love you. My God says, I've died on the cross for you. My God said, if there's sin in your life, uh, there's a very easy fix. Repent. Turn around. And let's continue to walk with me. We make such a big deal out of that. We make it more difficult than it needs to be. We make it a complicated process.